This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Obama Yang against Foster. Foster makes the save. The minimum is giving it everything you've got. GoPro in the goal, baby. The 38-year-old on his 500th appearance coming to Watford's rescue. These pythons, nice and pumped. <laughs> Our fearless leader, Mr. Ben Foster. <sighs> Right, nice little warm down because that was filled. I thought we had our own little Gary Lineker moment there with uh, Ben Foster's breathing, but it is former Man United, former Watford. We can throw in Wrexham, uh, West Brom, Birmingham. I mean, the fellow's been all over the shop. England as well, eight caps. YouTuber extraordinaire, but Ben, you, you do it all. Yeah, it's, trades, it's, master of all. I'm, I'm, bi- I'm just like I'm, I'm quite busy. I like to be doing stuff all the time. Um, so we're out here now. We're playing golf and. We're start. We're even starting a new YouTube channel, doing oh, yeah. a bit of golf content. Yeah, just if I find something that I want to do and I enjoy doing it, then I'm in. I'll do it. So podcast, golf, football, whatever. It's, it's quite an unconventional route you've taken, Ben, because obviously most players go into the the very sort of traditional punditry kind of world mm. of media, and you've got this YouTube channel which is absolutely flying. It's fair to say the cycling GK. It's got 1.23 million subscribers and you've had 111 million views on the channel, which is incredible. And the way you've gone about styling it is very much the modern YouTuber kind of model. What sort of led you to that? Because I consider myself, I'm a few years older than you, but I'm definitely too old to wade into the, (laughs) the kind of murky world of YouTube. But you've really... You've kind of got this very fresh, modern way of approaching yeah. it. You, no, you're never too old. No. Honestly, don't don't ever say that or think it. You're never too old, I promise you. Um, you've just got to embrace it. So I, before I got into it, I, I had no clue what YouTube was. I, I'd watch a few bits and bobs, but I didn't understand the community and how important it was. So I, I view now, I view YouTube as basically, it's like the anti-prime time. You could do the Sky Sports, which is, you know, you're sitting there in your suits and you're looking a certain way and you have to say certain things. And yeah. You have to play by the rules basically YouTube is you do it your way it's your platform it's your voice you can say exactly what you want to say when you want to say it in your own time and that's what I found with YouTube and I absolutely love it I do and I've got to say this and it's a great compliment you're you're making it accessible you've got a a legion of followers out there I think a Crouchy certainly back in the UK and the Peter Crouch podcast you're muscling in on that territory Ben incredibly refreshing you and Tom and the gang and, and I've watched many of them you've had Martin O'Neill in there oh. they're great and it, it's, I can see that you're buzzing for it as well you were just saying off air you're not missing the professional side of the game you're loving this new kind of Ben Foster 2.0 exactly that yeah I'm, like I say I'm, I'm a busy guy anyway I like to do stuff um, so, so the podcast like you say there the podcast some of the guests we get to get on it's finding the questions and knowing the questions to ask these guys that people actually want to hear the answers to. It's not just like the best club you played for, the best player you played with and all that kind of stuff. It's the little details, the prep for the games Mm. and all those tiny little details that people just don't know. So I was playing with uh, Shane Lowry in the golf yesterday and we, I made a kind of a video about it and it was nothing major anyway, but the two, two questions, the only two questions I had to ask Shane was your ball marker I see it's like, it's not a normal ball marker. It's not the sort of thing that you see on the desk when you're going to the, into the club shop. It's got markings on it and stuff. Is it like a lucky ball marker? And his face just lit up. And he said, yeah, it is. It's got my kids' names on it. Um, GMAC gave it to me a few years back. Uh, it's got my, the, the first tournament I won, like date inscribed on it and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's incredible. Like, yeah. really, really nice. And then I had another question for him about if you would won the Masters and you come back for the second year, the night before you start the first round, it's that meal. You know the meal they go for where 
where the person that won it last year, he picks the menu. Yeah. And again, he's, his face lit up and he was like, yeah, I've thought about this so much. It's like, nobody's ever asked me this question. I'm thinking, oh, boom, <laughs> lucky me then anyway. But they're the sort of questions, yeah. those tiny little bits mm. that people really want to answer, know the answer to, but don't even know it's a question in the first place. Yeah, One and I guess that. YouTube has allowed the YouTubers to make this content that doesn't have to conform to like ad mm. breaks and kind of the very sort of structured way that TV works. You can have a much longer form, you know, Joe Rogan being a case in point, his podcasts are three hours in length. You know, you can have a proper chat and you can unpick, you know, uh, and, and find out a lot more detail and perhaps a lot more insight from the guests than you wouldn't ordinarily have if they were in a studio. Yeah, I think, I think, some YouTubers and podcasters, they don't get the credit they deserve. I think people will see them as smaller time. Do you know what I mean? Like I say, the anti-prime time, they, they see them as not creative. But I genuinely think these guys are, are the ones that have done it off their own back. They found a niche. They found what works. They found what they like. And then they've gone and created content that appeals to millions so, and millions so of people. So when did you start, obviously, as your career was approaching the, the sort of final few years, I know, of course, you got the GoPro out in the, yeah, the goal yeah. uh, during COVID. But when did you start thinking, I, I like this content creator? Has this always been something that you thought, I'll do this after I finish playing content no, creation? No, for sure. I think if you'd have asked me three or four years ago, never. No chance on this earth. It would have been the same thing. I'd have either become a goalkeeper coach or I'd have done mainstream media. I'd have been sat in a suit and I'm sort of singing to somebody somebody else's tune. I didn't. I, I really didn't want to do that deep down. Um, so like I said, when I started putting the GoPro in the goal and I saw the reaction to it, we were putting the videos awesome. out. They're edited really well. And I think people just like seeing that behind the curtain, yeah. look at stuff. They, they like listening to the commentary in-game, the way that I talk to my defenders, all that kind of stuff. Um, that was when I started to finally go, oh, there might be something in this here. Because you know what yeah. it is, Ben? I come back to it and then Robbie and I, we were fortunate what we do in this, in this job. We've had a little of big name, you know, people like yourself who've achieved great things in professional sport in those in those chairs. And the, the biggest thing I come back to, two things, anecdotes. It's those stories that we fans, and we consider ourselves fans, we're not privy to. And then it's genuine insight. And as you say with that GoPro, we are hearing what you're saying to your defenders in a Premier League match. That's proper insight. No one else is, is doing that. And Sky Sports and BT and all the rest of the host broadcasters, they do a great job. But to a point, it's packaged up content that they want us to see, whereas you were doing something a bit different and yet the Premier League still weren't happy about that, were they? No, they were not. <laughs> they were less than happy. Um, so, yeah, when we were doing it in the, in the championship, I was allowed to get away with putting the GoPro on the goal. Um, fair play to the AFL, Sky Sports yeah. at the time. Sky Sports, because it was the championship, they were happy with it. It was like more eyes the better, basically. The second we got promoted up into the Premier League, and I mean the second we got promoted, it was basically an email we need a Zoom call ASAP. Simple as that. Uh, we had the Zoom call and under no certain terms was I allowed ever even to dream of putting that GoPro in the goal because it was basically Sky Sports, BT, yeah. Amazon, pay billions for this. Literally pay billions. So don't even dream of it because you will get sued. But at that point, could you not go to a Sky Sports and say, hey, listen, guys, in the games that you're doing, if, if you've got Watford on a Sky Sports game... I'm going to do this. Can we come to sort of some sort of arrangement? Because the content's working. I'm happy to give it to you. Leave it on the Sky Sports plot. Was there any of those conversations? You're the first person that's asked that question, actually. And that actually happened. That is exactly what happened. I said to them, um, how about I use content? Like, I share it with you yeah. and you share it with me. And do you know what I mean? I can use stuff and you can use my stuff and... It wasn't even, a, it, it, honestly, she shut it down like you would not believe. Yeah. It was ridiculous. I'm, I'm thinking, surely that's, that's a good trade, right? Like yes. We both win from this. But no, it was not even a thing. And I think, 
I think they're, I'm not going to say they'll regret it, but I think they're going to come round to it eventually. To They'll realise that YouTubers and YouTube is a genuine platform for mm. streaming football because I guarantee you there'll be, there'll be millions and millions of people that will want to watch their favourite YouTuber be watching a football match. So, so if YouTube got content rights, right, to the Premier League, for example, where they could people could stream Premier League matches, but also in a little box in the corner have their favourite content creator talking about it. The yeah. Sidemen, for example. Have you guys heard of the Sidemen? Yes. These lads from, from London, phew, they are the biggest in, without doubt, in the UK, but pretty much worldwide as well on YouTube. Good. If they're talking about the football game and just having a laugh and explaining it, and people would tune but, in but, like you but would. But it's a step further than that. Ben Foster camera, where you could choose. You know what? For this game today, I want to be behind the goal on that yeah. GoPro, listening to Ben talk. Well, obviously oh, you've retired wow. now, but see, you could there take you it go. one step further. Here we go. If people got these sort of cameras and microphones embedded in their shirt, actual players, Harry Kane, for example, right? Yeah. Harry Kane's got one of these cameras and microphones embedded in his shirt. You could tune in live and watch it from it's his perspective, amazing. his point of view. Not only that, if he had a heart rate monitor, for example, right? He's taken a penalty against Allison. It's in the 90th yes. minute. Allison's got a heart rate monitor. And watch, watch Harry Kane's heart rate right now. It's the 90th minute. It's a big deal. There's stress. Is he stressed? Let me have a look at his heart rate. Oh, my God. This is the next level, amazing. guys. This is, is the next level. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's talk about the Premier League starting its own kind of Netflix sort of platform and, and moving away from traditional broadcasting. And I know Simon Jordan's talked a lot about that on, on Talk Sport. Did any of your opponents become familiar or aware of the GoPro in the goal and celebrate into it? Ben? There was, wasn't there? Was we it? did. Yeah, we did. We had one. Um, this was basically, for me personally, honestly, this was about the start of the problem with the GoPro because you've got to imagine I'm doing this and when in football, you've got to, fans, they have an emotional connection to the football club, right? So if we win a game, they're happy. They want to see the YouTube video, right? But if we lose... They see it as almost um, you're like glorifying, or you're kind of commercialising. Yeah, exactly loss. that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, it doesn't bother me if we lost or not. I'm just happy to get the YouTube video. It's never the case for me. I just did my job like I always do. Um, so you've got to be careful with it. So the video that I put out was against Swansea. Jamal Lowe was the guy That's who scored it. a goal. Jamal Lowe scored. He ran up to the camera, kind of pointed at it. So it was, li it was nothing, honestly. He pointed at it, um, but he talked about it in his, his, in, his in, in his interview after the game, um, and the, the, the basically the interviewer asked like did you go and celebrate into the GoPro he said yeah I did I, I didn't do much I just pointed it that was it though soon as that went out there whew, the amount of tweets and sort of vitriol that I was getting from fans was phenomenal but I, I do understand it don't get me wrong I do understand it because like I say there are football fans out there that live for the weekend that is their life so if they feel like a player is sort of jeopardising their chances to win or not caring as much it's not the case no chance on that I, I will always care and I'll give it everything but I do understand it to an extent I, I want to talk about the vitriol if I can I'm conscious of time we had so much for you and I know you've been a busy boy so we've got about 15 minutes left we've seen Aaron Ramsdale and I want to bring it back mm. to a couple of things and, and to your point I want to ask the lazy questions I want to get proper insight from you we saw what we, we saw at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday Aaron Ramsdale at the end of the game or Charleston coming up to say don't you dare go for that water bottle you're going to incite these Spurs fans you've been in that position before when we talk vitriol how bad did it ever get for you Ben because I think of you as a likeable guy you played for Man United though for goodness sake and they're always there to be shot at did it ever get really bad for your like 
come on, mate. Really? Oh, Settle down. As a goalie, you hear everything, honestly. And some of the stuff that you hear is just, woof. It is next level. Like, we cannot talk about it on this radio station, how bad it gets sometimes. Even, like, the tweets you get. For me, Twitter's the worst. Like, some of the tweets that you'll get afterwards are just outrageous. If you searched up Aaron Ramsdale's name and saw some of the tweets that he would have been getting directed at him... It's outrageous. It's phenomenal. Going back to the Richarlison thing, though, I was not happy with this whole thing at all. Um, first of all, Richarlison, okay? The only re- I think the only reason why he's done that, okay, is Tottenham have just been spanked by Arsenal. They've just yeah, they been have. beaten 2-0, right? Yeah. They didn't lay a glove on Arsenal. No. They didn't lay a glove on them. And I think he's just trying to win brownie points there from the Tottenham fans. I really do. I think he's trying to win brownie points. There's no need to go up to, to Aaron Ramsdale and do that. Aaron Ramsdale, don't worry, he is that kind of guy. It's, they call it that s housery thing a little bit. But he's, yes. he's not going crazy. He's not going over the top. He understands that it's a volatile situation anyway. He's just sort of celebrating the win, basically. Richarlison's only doing it to win brownie points. Aaron Ramsdale, to be fair to him, took it really, really well. Because when you've got somebody pushing you and prodding you and poking you in the face, he's done really well to just refrain from from reacting there do you know what I mean because I bet in the back of his head he's thinking if I do anything here I'm going to get a red card I'll be banned for the next game it's a problem so I thought he handled it really well in the end but the kid the kid coming on the side of the pitch is just that and then ridiculous were you ever provoked beyond kind of your reasonable sort of ability to kind of just withhold it I'd say in my young years probably yeah Um, never to the point of I'd never try and like strike somebody or push somebody or poke somebody in the face or anything but I guarantee when I was younger sort of in my mid 20s or something I'd have had a few outbursts or where I've just ran and I couldn't quite control my my emotions or something like that I think this is the beauty of football though when you do see those characters those guys that can't control those emotions like it and it happens quite a lot you know because footballers are that way they are sort of I feel sometimes they just don't quite know how to deal with what's happening to them and and I've sat and defended many a footballer I think the restraint that you boys show Mm. genuinely Week in, week out, I actually don't think enough is made of it. No, I know you're professional, sure. and as the old kind of argument goes, they're paid well, they've got to be professional. Some of the things that I've heard and seen, I applaud you on a weekly basis, <laughs> truly. If, if that happens to you on a night out on a Saturday yeah. night, it's a problem, isn't it? It's a fight. Somebody's having a fight somewhere. Yeah. Well, mo- the, most of the population are having a fight if somebody calls them something or prods them in the face or something. So, so to retra- restrain yourself and not react... Ben, you should see we get messages just saying, "Ah, tonight's show's a bit. It's not great tonight." Me and Robbie are up. We're getting ready. We're messaging the guys. We'll see you outside. <laughs> for goodness gracious, but to well, have he is. <laughs> eighty thousand people. I mean, you're absolutely right. Right. I want to quickly ask you. This is the burning question for me. Well documented. Stoke City on loan at Wrexham. Darren Ferguson was your manager, and then Fergie, Man United, come calling. You're playing for Wrexham. What is the legit story? Okay, so I'm 24 years old. Um, I am not ready for this, I promise you. This is out of nowhere. I am not that guy to be able to just deal with Man United coming and buying you um, and then you are all of a sudden playing for the biggest club in the world. That is a huge problem. Were you aware they were watching you? Uh, I was actually, yeah. Did I Darren was. tell you? Listen, yeah, my dad. So, so it was exactly that. Darren told me there was, pro- there was about well, maybe four or five games left of the season. It was the worst thing he could have done as well. <laughs> ben, my dad's watching you. Like, just, just keep going. Just keep going. I'm thinking, yeah, just keep going. Let's doddle that, yeah. So he actually came to one game, Ferguson did. He came with uh, Tony Coton. Tony Coton came to the remain- remaining games of the season, the goalie coach at the time. Alex Ferguson came with him with- to one game as well. Thankfully, I managed to sort of keep it together, hold it together, did really well for the remaining games and that was it. Yeah, Stoke, uh, sorry, I was at Stoke at the time and Man United, when they come in and buy you from Stoke, it is a, it is a big step up, a proper step up. Uh, and was that intimidating? 
oh, ridiculous. Like I say, 24 years old and I, I was so sort of wet behind the ears, genuinely wet behind the ears. So you, you go and sign for Man United and I, the good thing for me was I went straight out on loan. I spent two years out on loan at Watford and it was the best thing for me. But then when I came back, there was all of a sudden all of this expectation on me. Not only was I a Man United goalie, I was an England goalkeeper. Yeah. I was the next guy to sort of like take over from Van der Sar. It was, it was a time where Van der Sar had had two years. His second year, the end of the second year was a little bit rocky for him actually. And I was coming back Back from Watford, I'd done really well, player of the year, I'd made it into the England team, all that kind of stuff. And there was expectancy of me. Um, unfortunately, I got a bad injury. I was out for the best part yeah. of the next season. But then after that, it was like, right, now's your time. When you've got someone like Edwin van der Sar in front of you, honestly, oh my gosh. Like, this guy's 38 years old, right? And he was a Rolls Royce. And yeah. I mean a Rolls Royce. Every day in training was just effortless for him. Even as a man, it was just, he, it's like he found life easy. <laughs> honestly, it's like he found life easy. He just, he had the cheat codes to everything. In a game, he was, he was effortless. He, there was nobody in the world at that time that could have done what Edwin van der Sar did for Man United. And every day I would just watch him and just think, there's no point. I can't get in front of you. I can't do that. I can't do that. And I can't do that. So, <laughs> so unflappable, wasn't he? He was unflappable. He was. He was incredible. So I've got I've got no regrets. No, like Edwin to me is an absolute hero. I've learned so much from him. Not only, like I say, as a human being, but as a footballer as well. So yeah, it was what it was. You know, my time was up at Man United. The chance to go out and, and, and play first team football and move to Birmingham City came up. And um, no, I'll never look back. I, uh, I love playing for Birmingham. We went and won a cup competition and uh, the rest is history. It really is. And again, what a career you've had. Now, a lot of people might not be aware of this, given where we are, the region that we're in, Saudi Arabia, Kingdom of not too far away, owners of Newcastle. You didn't have the chance, did you not, Ben, to join the Magpies this past summer? I did. Um, out of the blue, absolutely out of the blue. So end of the season comes, um, I'm without a club for two or three months and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of half looking. I'm not really sort of chasing it or anything. I'm happy to retire. Um, the call comes from Newcastle. Do you want to come and be our second goalkeeper for the rest of the season? Wow. Um, I live in the Midlands, so Newcastle is a good drive away. It's a good four-hour drive away. <laughs> 39 years old, I had to think about it. I actually, I kind of went back with them with a wage request of, listen, if you paid this amount of money, that would be worth it. <laughs> right. And if you're willing to meet it, cool. If not, not a problem. They came back a couple of times and I was like, listen, it's not worth it. I'm not trying to do it. Eventually, I got the call and they said, all right, we'll do it. And oh my gosh, my heart sank, honestly. <laughs> oh, my heart it? sank, yeah, it did. And I just knew straight, as soon as my heart sank, I thought, you're not in for this anymore, are you? Do you know what I mean? You're not in for this. So I kind of, I spoke to the family about it. I spoke to the kids about it. And they were like, where are you going to live? And I'm like, well, I'll have to go and live in Newcastle. You know, it's I'm going to have to get an apartment up there. You're going to stay down here in school. I'm not going to see you for pretty much all week. I might get a day off now and then. It's a lot of traveling. We were having dinner and it's kind of, it was a eureka moment genuinely where I've just gone, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. So I, I rung the agent that had, that had rung me and um, I said, listen, mate, I can't do it. He was literally like, yeah, good. And yeah, nice one. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I know the chief executive at Newcastle, actually, Dan Ashworth. Dan I know him really well. Top boy. Yeah, he's a really top boy. I knew him from West Brom and I've got a lot of respect for Dan. So I said, listen, mate, don't you ring him and tell him. I'll ring him and tell him. Okay. So I rung him back and I said, Dan, I'm really sorry, mate. I feel like I've wasted your time. I have. I've wasted your time, mate, but I just can't do it. I just can't do it, mate. My heart's not into it. So he was brilliant. He was like, I respect that so much, honestly. He said, if you'd have turned up tomorrow, we've got all the medicals booked and you didn't do it, I'd, been, I'd have been fuming. He said, but I respect that so much that was the story there wow. we go. well listen we respect you despite the fact you've been really busy today you've still come down and joined us for half an hour Ben it's been great we could sit and talk to you till the cows come home we really could it's great to watch what you're doing after your football career keep it up I think you're going to be an absolute rock star when it comes to YouTube for a while longer yet and don't listen to Robbie when you hit 41 you're still a YouTuber <laughs> life begins at 41 That's okay it, yeah. That's it. 
the Offscript podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 